Greetings, you're listening to podcast number 114 of Blast the Right. I'm your host, Jack Clark. Great to have you on board. Today, you'll hear exposed as a falsehood the pervasive myth pushed hardest by the right wing that there is great economic mobility in the United States. You'll see that the real picture is not so pretty. Let's get right into it. My sources are economicmobility.org, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Monthly, CommonDreams.org, and Dictionary.com. A note on EconomicMobility.org. It's the website of the Economic Mobility Project, which produced a report, which is the main source here. The Pew Charitable Trust put the Economic Mobility Project together as a nonpartisan effort involving four major policy institutes. Two are conservative, the American Enterprise Institute and the Heritage Foundation. One is centrist, the Brookings Foundation. The last is center-to-left, the Urban Institute. So often I'll refer to this study as the bipartisan report to remind you that the data cited has been vetted not only by a centrist and center-to-left think tank, but also by the two major right-wing policy institutes. Let me also mention up front that a listener suggested this topic and gave me the starting links, one to the bipartisan report itself. So thanks to Neitz, an American living in Toronto. If you're a long-time listener, countless times you've heard Blast the Right cover the issue of the severe and worsening inequality of income and wealth in the United States. You've listened to a dazzling, maybe dizzying if you're not mathematically inclined, array of solid statistics documenting this state of injustice. The conventional political wisdom has always been the public doesn't care much about income and wealth inequality because of the widely shared belief that everyone has a shot at becoming rich, that there's great economic mobility in the United States. As the bipartisan report put it, for more than two centuries, economic opportunity and the prospect of upward mobility have formed the bedrock upon which the American story has been anchored inspiring people in distant lands to seek our shores and sustaining the unwavering optimism of Americans at home. From the hopes of the earliest settlers to the aspirations of today's diverse population, the American dream unites us in a common quest for individual and national success. End of passage. If you were around in 1899, you could have read de Tocqueville hot off the presses when he wrote, quote, Among aristocratic nations, Families remain for centuries in the same condition. Among democratic nations, new families are constantly springing up, others are constantly falling away, and all that remain change their condition. I really must add up front here my belief that, even if there were a lot of economic mobility, and some poor kids could go from rags to riches, that's not a justification for the rest of the poor kids and their parents living in poverty if they're fulfilling their part of the social contract. How do you define economic mobility? You have two major dimensions. Time period, short term, over a lifetime, or between generations. The other dimension is whether the mobility is absolute or relative. Quoting the report, absolute mobility refers to a dynamic in which a rising tide is lifting all boats. In other words, absolute mobility comes from economic growth, 
which hopefully ensures that each generation is better off economically than the next. Quoting again, Relative mobility, by contrast, suggests that boats are changing places but says nothing about the strength of the tide. In other words, individuals change positions in relation to each other, moving up or down the economic scale, whether or not the economy is growing. Before you hear all the details, how about you take in what I call not a sum up, but a sum forward of what is to come. Now remember, this is from the Bipartisan Report, endorsed by two rock-ribbed conservative think tanks. Quote, New data raises provocative questions about the continuing ability of all Americans to move up the economic ladder and calls into question whether the American economic meritocracy is still alive and well. Recent studies suggest that there is less economic mobility in the United States than has long been presumed. The last 30 years has seen a considerable drop-off in median household income growth compared to earlier generations. And, by some measurements, we are actually a less mobile society than many other nations, including Canada, France, Germany, and most Scandinavian countries. This challenges the notion of America as the land of opportunity. Close quote. You wouldn't be surprised to hear me or Dennis Kucinich say something like that. But the American Enterprise Institute and the Heritage Foundation? Is hell freezing over as well? And there's more. Check this out. Quote, the strength of America's rising economic tide has not benefited significant segments of our citizenry. Gone are the days when a stable, single income was enough to launch the next generation toward growing prosperity. In modern America, upward mobility is increasingly a family enterprise and, during a time of rapidly shifting household structure, this has significant repercussions for the economic mobility prospects of millions of Americans. Okay, on to the details. Even though you've heard plenty of this positive evidence and blast the right about growing income and wealth inequality in the U.S., little of it came from right-wing sources. If you're discussing this issue with your friendly local right-winger and he or she dismisses you as spouting left-wing propaganda, you can put them in their place by pointing out your source is a report co-authored by the American Enterprise Institute and the Heritage Foundation. The bipartisan report points out that in the 25 years between 1979 and 2004, the poorest one-fifth of Americans saw their real after-tax income grow by only 9%, while the richest one-fifth had a 69% increase. For the richest 1% of Americans, it was 176%. You can look at it another way. In 1978, CEOs were paid 35 times the average worker's pay. In 2005, CEOs were raking in 262 times the pay of the average worker. You may have also heard on Blast the Right If Nowhere Else that income inequality is the worst since the Great Depression. If you don't believe me, the bipartisan report quotes George W. Bush in January 2007 remarks to Wall Street as saying, quote, The fact is that income inequality is real. It's been rising for more than 25 years. Now you know it's true, Bush said it. Besides being true, it's also not fair. The bipartisan report points out that for three decades after World War II, productivity growth in the economy and median household income both rose at the same time. 
by productivity in the economy, it's meant the rate or efficiency of work, output per unit of labor. So if productivity goes up, it means workers are producing more profit and thus their pay should go up as well. And that's what happened for 30 years after World War II. But then the bipartisan report explains, quote, A growing gap between U.S. productivity and median family income challenges the notion that a rising tide will lift all boats. Beginning in the mid-1970s, we see a growing gulf between the two, which widens dramatically at the turn of the century. The benefits of productivity growth have not been broadly shared in recent years. Widens dramatically at the turn of the century, just when old George took office. Now, such a situation would produce an uproar in many nations, but it traditionally hasn't in the U.S. because Americans have different beliefs in this area than most other peoples. Compared to citizens of other developed nations, Americans are more likely to believe in, as the report put it, the quote, fluidity of class and economic status. As the Wall Street Journal said in a surprising year 2005 news article we'll get more into later, Many Americans believe their country remains a land of unbounded opportunity. That perception explains why Americans, much more than Europeans, have tolerated the widening inequality in recent years. It's okay to have ever greater differences between rich and poor, they seem to believe, as long as their children have a good chance of grasping the brass ring. Such seems to be a favorite trope of George W. Bush. From the Wall Street Journal again, quote, President Bush, though a riches-to-riches story himself, revels in the humble origins of some in his cabinet. He says his attorney general grew up in a two-bedroom house, the son of migrant workers who never finished elementary school. He notes that his Cuban-born commerce secretary's first job for Kellogg Corporation was driving a truck. His last was chief executive. Now, this American belief in great economic mobility was, the Wall Street Journal tells us, probably accurate in the 1800s, largely due to rural children moving to growing metropolises where they secured better paying jobs. As you may have noticed, however, we're not living in the 19th century anymore. Up next, you'll find out what the right-wing endorsed bipartisan report says is the truth about economic mobility or not in late 20th, early 21st century America. Your one-minute voting report. Thank you for the iTunes five-star reviews. They counted the right-wing sabotage one-star reviews. If you haven't given Blast the Right a five-star review in iTunes, please consider doing so. In Podcast Alley, January has us so far at number seven. Just another 20 or 30 votes and we could be up to number five. How about it? iTunes, Podcast Alley. Let's spread the progressive word in the podcast world. Thanks. The bipartisan report tells you that income and wealth inequality in the U.S. is growing, but that a widespread belief in class fluidity and economic mobility 
has led the U.S. public to traditionally not be too concerned about the situation. The right wing, by its own admission, needs the mobility myth to justify and allow the perpetuation of rampant inequality. Here's the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Quote, The political left and its media echoes are promoting the inequality story as a way to justify a huge tax increase. But inequality is only a problem if it reflects stagnant opportunity and a society stratified by more or less permanent income differences. That kind of society can breed class resentments and unrest. America isn't remotely such a society, thanks in large part to the incentives that exist for risk-taking and wealth creation. Close quote. The mobility myth is really the flip side of a justification for social Darwinism, the noxious right-wing doctrine that tells you the poor are poor because they're stupid, lazy, and immoral. But that's another issue. Check out podcast number 83 about social Darwinism. Back on point here, is the economic mobility myth real? Has the U.S. public's belief been correct? Is there so much economic mobility here that rampant inequality and reverse Robin Hood economics should be forgiven. According to the Bipartisan Report, no. Regarding relative mobility, where individuals move up and down the economic ladder, quote, data on relative mobility suggests that people in the United States have experienced less relative mobility than is commonly believed. Most studies find that, in America, about half of the advantages of having a parent with a high income are passed on to the next generation. This means that one of the biggest predictors of an American child's future economic success, the identity and characteristics of his or her parents, is predetermined and outside that child's control. To be sure, the apple can fall far from the tree, and often does in individual cases, but relative to other factors, the tree dominates the picture. Close quote. In other words, vast numbers of individuals in our nation don't have equal shots at progressing up the economic scale. It's not a level playing field for individuals. What about absolute mobility, where entire successive generations move up the economic ladder? The section heading in our bipartisan report tells you all you need to know. It reads... Men in their 30s today earn less than men in their father's generation. To repeat, men in their 30s today earn less than men in their father's generation. Here's the data. First you compare men who were in their 30s in 1994 with men in their father's generation, men who were in their 30s in 1964. Inflation-adjusted median income increased slightly, 5% overall, for the 1994 children compared to their 1964 fathers. That's a whopping one-sixth of a percent a year. But at least there was some upward movement. Compare that to the next generation, men in their 30s in 2004 versus their parents' generation, men in their 30s in 1974. Here there's a 12% drop, a decrease, a lessening of their inflation-adjusted median income, a $5,000 a year drop, from $40,000 to $35,000. The bipartisan report concludes, quote, There has been no progress at all for the youngest generation. As a group, they have on average 12% less income than their father's generation at the same age. 
This suggests the up escalator that has historically ensured that each generation would do better than the last may not be working very well. End quote. Now, don't let a right-winger bamboozle you at the water cooler. We've been talking about individual incomes here. The right-winger may argue that family incomes have gone up a bit in this time period. But you simply have to point out to this misguided soul that's only because more wives have gone to work, adding a second income to the family. The individual jobs are still paying less. I grew up in the 50s and 60s, and most families I knew were solidly middle class, with one wage earner able to support a middle class lifestyle. Such is generally not the case nowadays. Certain right-wingers, in fact, seem to even celebrate a given individual having to work him or herself at multiple jobs. There's a certain comfort to know that the promises made will be kept by the government. You don't have to worry. That's good, because I work three jobs and I feel like I contribute. You work three jobs? Three jobs, yes. Uniquely American, isn't it? I mean, that is fantastic if you're yeah. doing that. You get any sleep? Not my America, buddy. Speaking of right-wing blather and excuses, you're sure to also hear something like this. Well, our mobility isn't perfect, but it's better than anywhere else in the world. We're number one in the world in economic mobility. We're the best. USA! 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 I hope for your sake they don't break out into such a literal football-type cheer. It seems like any moment they're verging on doing so, doesn't it? You know, I always say, whatever a right-winger says, the exact opposite is true. That applies here as well. Just like right-wingers will say that with all its faults, our healthcare system is the best in the world, when it's demonstrably not for the average citizen, let alone for our 47 million uninsured, here as well, they're just as wrong with the mobility issue. In fact, as an aside, did you ever wonder whether the term right-wing should be changed to wrong-wing, wrong-wingers, or always wrong-wingers? But I digress. Here's what your bipartisan, endorsed by the American Enterprise Institute and Heritage Foundation study, has to say. Quote, There's little available evidence that the United States has more relative mobility than other advanced nations. If anything, the data seem to suggest the opposite. Using the relationship between parents' and children's income as an indicator of relative mobility, data show that a number of countries, including Denmark, Norway, Finland, Canada, Sweden, Germany, and France, have more relative mobility than does the United States. Close quote. How bad is it? Germany, 1.5 times more mobile than the U.S. Canada, almost two and a half times. Denmark, three times as mobile. If you look at the chart in the bipartisan report, it turns out the industrialized nations that are the most mobile are those creepy socialist horrible places, Finland, Norway, and Denmark. Only Great Britain has less mobility than us. Isn't it amazing? In the U.S., with less mobility, we have this big myth about there being so much mobility. In most of Europe, where there's more mobility, they don't believe there's much at all. Here's a bonus for you. I made a big deal that the bipartisan report about there not in reality being much economic mobility in America was written by, among others, two right-wing iconic institutions, the American Enterprise Institute and the Heritage Foundation. Well, the ultimate right-wing iconic institution is probably the Wall Street Journal. 
I alluded before to an amazing Wall Street Journal news story. I learned long ago that the Wall Street Journal's editorial page is blinded by ideology and advocates all sorts of loopy, if not downright pernicious things. But its news reporting, at least until Rupert Murdoch bought it, we'll have to see, its news reporting is often quite honest. In fact, it sometimes directly contradicts what the editorial page is saying at the very same time. In 2005, the Wall Street Journal news headline read, as rich-poor gap widens in U.S., class mobility stalls. No, that wasn't on Common Dreams or MoveOn.org. This is the Wall Street Journal. So now, not only do you have the American Enterprise Institute and Heritage Foundation imprimatur on the U.S. economic mobility ain't what it's cracked up to be assertion, you have the Wall Street Journal as well. Here's real briefly the highlights of what that newspaper reported two years ago. I first quote from sections of their article. The reality of mobility in America is more complicated than the myth. Scholars have, over the past decade, come to see America as a less mobile society than they once believed. The escalators of mobility move much more slowly. As the gap between rich and poor has widened since 1970, the odds that a child born in poverty will climb to wealth or a rich child will fall into the middle class remain stuck. Americans are no more or less likely to rise above or fall below their parents' economic class than they were 35 years ago. The Wall Street Journal doesn't feel it's reporting breakthrough news. It says such is the consensus of economists and sociologists. The journal also backs up what the bipartisan report concluded that economic mobility is greater in most of Europe than in the U.S. Quote, Despite the widespread belief that the U.S. remains a more mobile society than Europe, Economists and sociologists say that in recent decades, the typical child starting out in poverty in continental Europe or in Canada has had a better chance at prosperity. So the Wall Street Journal's news pages report the truth on this. Their editorial page is another story. A right-winger may bring up to you a 2007 study by Bush's Treasury Department that purports to show great mobility in the U.S., Interestingly, a similar such report was issued by the Treasury Department at the end of Bush Sr.'s term in 1992. I await some number crunching by a progressive economist to debunk this report, embraced by that very editorial page of the Wall Street Journal. A sufficient counter should actually be that newspaper's own news article, which I just discussed, and the opposite conclusions of the American Enterprise Institute and the Heritage Foundation contained in the bipartisan report. And of course, since the poverty rate is higher now than when Bush took office, I guess the mobility the Treasury report is bragging about must have an overall downward trajectory. You may be wondering, if the economists and sociologists know mobility is a myth, why doesn't the American public? Well, the American public is beginning to wake up. The bipartisan report tells you that, quote, perhaps driven by widening inequality and a concern about the fairness of the game, there is a tangible and growing sense of pessimism among the American public. In exit polls after the 2006 election, less than one-third of the voters said that they thought life would be better for the next generation. In another poll, over half of Americans surveyed thought that the American dream is no longer attainable for the majority of their fellow citizens. Other polls suggest that Americans are increasingly worried that they will be able to maintain the standard of living they currently enjoy. Close quote. 
And you've heard on Blanche the right more good news that the public doesn't believe things are fine the way they are. Two-thirds of Americans say the distribution of wealth in this country is unfair. Nearly half would heavily tax the rich to make the situation more equitable. And recent polls say that economic anxiety is at least matching and maybe trumping Iraq and national security as voter concerns. You know, it makes sense to me that we have just about the lowest economic mobility among the industrialized nations since we also have just about the most unequal distribution of wealth. If those in the top are the greediest, it makes sense they'd be least likely to want anyone else to share their wealth and would do the least to create conditions for that to happen. Which leads to my closing now. What to do about the situation? What to do? The bipartisan report notes that the various think tanks do differ on solutions. The progressive one certainly would be a more progressive tax code in the short term and in the long term addressing the root causes inequality in quote the underlying sources of opportunity in America be they education, health care, family environments, culture, labor markets or other institutions close quote. And that's just what listener Neitz who suggested the mobility topic concludes. He wrote to me in part I can attest to the fact that mobility does seem much easier outside the U.S. In the U.S., I saw people working part-time for years as they waited for a full-time position to open up so they could get health coverage. Most of those who tried to go to school eventually had to drop out as they failed to juggle multiple jobs. Things just seem much easier in Canada. Aggressive tuition subsidies mean very few people work during school and very few have to. A medical problem isn't going to force you into bankruptcy. Even low-wage employers offer additional benefits since they have no health care expenses to deal with. People are free to risk new business ventures without worrying about losing shelter, food, or health care if it doesn't work out. Well put. And it turns out, I was reading comments on a message board thread on economic mobility and picked out a comment to use here, then looked at the poster's name. Neats again, by chance. In the forum, Neitz summed it all up very nicely. He wrote, It's quite clear why the UK and the US have the lowest mobility rates. They have the most similar economic systems and opportunities are not uniform. The most mobile nations provide progressive taxation, wide security nets, and high subsidies to universal education. It's not surprising that would increase mobility. Close quote. And it's not surprising that it's just such measures the right wing vehemently opposes. It's our job as progressives to use the public's awakening to make sure that the right wing's reverse Robin Hood economic measures are rolled back and that progressive measures that make a society more fair and truly increase economic mobility are implemented. In other words, it's our job to continue fighting the right wing on all fronts. And that, I trust, is just what you and I will continue to do. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at Podcast Alley and write a five-star review for Blast the Right on iTunes. You do that through the iTunes software, not through the website. A special shout-out to all you Live 365 and Red Dragon 365 listeners. Great to have you on board. Please consider coming over to the podcast homepage, subscribing for free, and then you can download and listen to any episode of the podcast anytime you want.
You get to the podcast homepage by typing Blast the Right into Google, and I'm the first result. I don't know if you could tell or not, last week I had more dental surgery, an impacted wisdom tooth was extracted, and my jaw and throat aren't quite 100% yet, but I figured I could do the podcast anyway. I think my brain is still working fine. And now a word from another progressive podcaster. Stick a fundamentalist hypocrites, corporate media whores, and the liberal pennywaves who refuse to fight them. Conceptual Guerrilla Radio cuts through the rhetoric and the propaganda and confronts the corporate fascists destroying our country and destroying our planet. If you're serious about real change, tune in to CGRadio.net five days a week. Music credits. The break music was L.A. Nightmare by 22 Caliber and Not the One Blues by Burnsheath Thornside. We'll close with a little bit of We Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on the data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Your email continues to be outstanding. Keep it coming in. I love to hear from you. My address is rational at roadrunner.com. If you want to, you can call in and leave a comment for me to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also leave a message on Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Vietnam vet with a cardboard sign Sitting there by the left turn line A flag on his wheelchair flapping in the breeze One leg missing and both hands free No one's paying much mind to him The VA budget's just stretched so thin And there's more coming back from the Mideast War We can't make it here anymore That big old building was a textile mill It fed our kids and it paid our bills But they turned us out and they closed the doors We can't make it here anymore